This framework includes historic investments in our nation and in our people. What's in, what's out of Build Back Better? Will your member of Congress support it or not? No one got everything they wanted. The final countdown in the race to replace late Congressman Elsie Hastings. Senate Committee on Reapportionment. And drawing the districts, the balance of power hangs in the balance. It's all live this week in South Florida. Good morning. We are glad you could join us with Glenna and me, and we are going to take a brief break right now because we have some technical issues we're going to work out. We have a big show for you, so don't go away. Welcome aboard this week in South Florida. You are the lucky audience to deal with us during our technical meltdown of sorts. We are going to be picking up this show and running with it as best we can. So we are, thank you for sticking with us. So let's begin with the final day of early voting for residents of the 20th Congressional District. That's parts of Broward and Palm Beach counties. But not many are voting in this special election. Nevertheless, voters on Tuesday are going to pick their nominees for the general election, which takes place in January, although the Democratic winner on Tuesday probably will be the winner because this is an overwhelmingly Democratic district. So there are 11 Democratic candidates, and if you've been with us in past weeks, you know we've had six here on This Week in South Florida, and this morning we hope to have the final four. We definitely have the first two to begin with. Elvin Dowling, who is president and CEO of a consulting and mentoring organization and also former chief of staff at the National Urban League. And Phil Jackson is a retired Navy officer, educator, and businessman. And even though this is television, they are on the phone with us. You just got me to. Okay, uh, my apologies. We have the candidate Emmanuel Morel. Phil Jackson hopefully will be with us uh, in the coming segment. So. We have um, on the phone with us today, Emmanuel Morel, Elvin Dowling, and if you can hear us, I hope you can. Thanks so much for being with us. Yes, we can. Mr. Morel. I can hear you. Good morning. Well, and we, we are glad you can. Uh, let me begin with a somewhat, um, uh, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but you have taken a position in, in which you favor reparations for African-Americans who are descendants of slaves. There are a lot of people in this country, I would say mainly white people, who would say slavery was absolutely wrong, but it's got nothing to do with me. I don't feel any moral obligation to somehow give the descendants of slave people anything. What do you say to them? Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. We can, we can decide to, di to disagree, we can, we can disagree. But I don't believe that African-Americans have gotten a fair shake in this country. Descendants of African-American slaves were promised uh, 40 acres and a mule, and they never got it. So the, the legacies of slavery are still with us. When I travel throughout this country, the problems are the same in every, um, in, in every African-American city. The, slave, the legacies of slavery are, are with us. We're not talking about individual guilt. 
We're talking about institutional guilt. America must come clean because the problems that we have are not going to go away. That's what I, that's yeah. what I say. It's, yeah, well, it's me, not about Mr. Morrell, being individual. Me, excuse me, Mr. Morrell. Let me just follow up briefly. Explain to us how much, if, if those slaves did not get 40 acres and a mule, what is the proper recompense for their descendants now? How much money? Okay. What, what would you say? It is, a, it, it is a fair question and a great question. The, the Japanese who were interned during, during World War II were interned for four years. They got $20,000 in the 80s, correct? And I understand it's equivalent to $44,000 today for four years. Slaves, African-American slaves worked for 300 years and got nothing. So I would, I, I dare to say that the descendants should receive, and I'm talking about the families, at least $3.3 million. Mr. Morrell, let me jump in here since this is a congressional race and, and I am so sorry that we can actually see you and have this interactive conversation. I want to get Elvin Dowling in here. And uh, talking about Congressional District 20, Elsie Hastings has had a hold on that for 15 terms. Why of the 11 people in the Democratic primary, Mr. Dowling, would you say you are the best candidate? What sets you apart? Well, thank you very much for having me uh, this morning. It is indeed a privilege to be here. And, you know, when I'm asked the question, uh, what makes you the best candidate for the race, I always harken back to this idea that it is really the people of the 20th Congressional District that will make the determination who is best fitted to represent them. But with that being said, I will say that I am the only candidate in this race who has actually worked in this district for these uh, the people that we're seeking to represent. I worked for Congressman Alfie Hastings during the first part of his tenure in the United States Congress before transitioning to become chief of staff for the National Urban League, one of the nation's oldest civil rights organizations. And so I want to leverage that experience, having worked on Capitol Hill, having actually negotiated uh, on behalf of the African-American community as a part of the National Urban League with members of Congress. I'm the only person that has that experience, and I want to leverage it on behalf of the people yeah. of the 20th Congressional District. Mr. Dowling, let me follow up with another question for you. As you well know, since you knew Al C. Well, I'm using the first name because he was a friend of mine as well. Uh, he was a huge supporter of Israel and funding for the Iron Dome. Uh, if you had been a member of Congress a couple of weeks ago, would you have voted for the $1 billion to help uh, replenish the Iron Dome? And would you also, where do you stand on BDS, Boycott, Divest, and Sanction Israel? Thank you very much for that question. I would have supported funding for the Iron Dome, and I absolutely abhor and oppose the BDS movement. And, you know, as we look at this race and the importance that our Jewish community has in the 20th Congressional District, we need someone who is going to fight to make sure that Israel is protected no matter what. 
And I want to be that strong advocate, just like Alfie Hastings was the strongest advocate within the Congressional Black Caucus for the people of Israel and the Jewish community. I want to lift that community up and continue to do the same thing. This is what Congressman Hastings taught me when I worked for him in the district. And I want to continue to push that agenda forward if given the opportunity to serve. Emmanuel Morell, you want to take a crack at that question as well? Uh, yes, I am, I am totally against the BDS movement. And as I've often said, Israel is an extension of the United States of America. Any attack on the state of Israel is an attack on the sovereignty of this United States of America. I have always said that. I stand by the, by the state of Israel. Uh, Mr. Morrell, briefly, let me ask you, even though this is a predominantly black district, 53% of the people in the 20th district are black, uh, but there is a sizable Hispanic population. About 23% of the people who live there are Hispanic. What is your message to them? Why would you be the best uh, congressman for them? Well, the, the reason I'm the best congressman, not just for the Hispanics, but for the district, is because I'm the only one who is not Fred Astaire. I'm, not, I'm the one who does not dance around issues. I go after issues, I go to the genesis of the problem, and I deal with it. If we, America's problems, poverty is created by men. We've created poverty, and we, we can fix poverty. God is not going to come down to fix these issues. These right. issues if I, we've if created, I can, we're, and we we're, can fix You know, Mr. Morell, I beg your pardon. Um, uh, Mr. Dowling, I don't want you not to have a chance to respond to that question. So briefly, if you could, well, what, what is your message to the Hispanic voters in the 20th district? Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. First, let me just say that my wife is a first immigration, uh, first generation immigrant from the Dominican Republic. And so I understand the issues that the Hispanic community face. My children are both African-American and Hispanic. And so what I would say to my Latino brothers and sisters is I will be an advocate for you on real issues in a real way. I will fight for dreamers. I will fight to make sure that we have a sensible immigration policy that does not discriminate against Latinos nor against Haitians. I believe that our immigration policy in many ways is very racist. And so I will fight that with every fiber of my being. And Michael, if I can, let me just say, Mr. Morell mentioned that he is uh, the only one that is spoken up on, that, on the issues that matter most. That's not true. I'm the first person in this race to sue the governor of Florida because he would not call an election. The reason we're having an election is because I sued him. I sued him again with regard to the mask mandates in schools because I believe our children should be protected. And I want to bring that level of advocacy back to the Congress for the people of the 20th Congressional District. Elvin Dowling, Emmanuel Morell, a little quick Q&A, and it was great to have you aboard. If, if if not for radio. <laughs> so uh, we will get you back in here sometime soon. But right now we want to go from some congressional candidates to a member of Congress and the long delayed and long debated plans for unprecedented federal safety net programs and the spending that comes with them. And so we switch our phone lines to <laughs> Congresswoman Maria Salazar of Miami, Miami-Dade, Miami Beach, 27th Congressional District. Congresswoman, you there with us? I am sorry that I cannot 
see you. I, w I was ready. I put my makeup on. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so yeah, thanks, thanks for rocking and rolling. But you used to so do I mean, this, like, so you yeah, know that I television know, comes I, with technical aspects sometimes. Yeah. So great to have and you. In the yeah. COVID area, yeah. the yeah. COVID area, even worse. So we cannot cover all the areas that we want, but I'm delighted to be here, even mm -hmm. though um, you cannot see me, you can only hear me. Well, we regret that as well. All right, Congresswoman, let's ask you the big question. Uh, next week, perhaps on Tuesday, that you and your fellow House members are going to vote on the president's Build Back Better plan, uh, $1.75 trillion for social programs, including, you know, a lot of money for things that people in your district uh, really need and would appreciate. For example, you have more people enrolled in Obamacare in your congressional district, I think, than any other in the United States. And under the Build Back Better plan, uh, their vision uh, problems and hearing problems would be paid for through Medicare, which they are not now. So uh, that's a good thing. Would you vote for that plan and that provision? Well, I have uh, major concerns with this reconciliation plan. You know why, Buddy? Because what they're trying to do is that they're trying to change the founding spirit of this country. I'm not against helping people that are enrolled in Obamacare. I'm, if you like your Obamacare, you keep it. I'm not in, in, uh, against helping the disabled or the veterans or the people that need a hand up. But the problem is that this bill is going to change the founding spirit of America. How, how so? How would it change? Oh, how it? so? Because we are a nation that was founded on the principle of pursuit of happiness when you're standing on your own two feet. We are a nation that needs to for you to go to work every morning like you and I and Glenna did for 35 years. We are a nation that is founded on the individualism, on you finding your own path. So you so have. what are we uh, doing now? Cong are we Congresswoman, doing? Wait, 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 what? I, I understand yeah. you, and I've actually heard you say this, that you think there are many parts of this plan that encourages government dependency. So I want to. Oh, absolutely. So I want to drill down with you. Oh, let me drill down with you a little it. bit on those details because uh, yes. you know I, I will say we're trying to keep up with the changing complexion of what's in and what's out and and I'm gonna just throw out there I don't think anybody who isn't in that room knows really at the moment what's in what's out but there are a couple of low-hanging headlines that you know what's in things like universal pre-k things like child care support there's a timeline now mm -hmm. so the six-year timeline and so when you say it encourages government dependency, might it also assist those who are most vulnerable or most challenged who need help to be independent? Well, we have programs that do exactly as you said, Blaina. We came out of the COVID experience for 18 months. We spent last year six trillion dollars to help people who were in that situation right now we have six billion dollars in tallahassee that cannot be used that could be put to use for something else whether it's infrastructure i mean each state has billions of dollars standing there that cannot be used for anything else and florida as i said we have six billion dollars inflation look at inflation the highest one in the last 30 years this is not a high class problem like the biden administration said the other day this is an an everyone problem 
Everything indicates that Thanksgiving is going to cost the average American family more than any other time in history. Gas is 40 percent. We, We're paying now three dollars. California is paying six dollars per gallon. Yeah, we, so you're going to tell me that we need to put more money into the economy? Well, People, hey, uh, listen, wait, wait, wait. There are 10 million jobs available. Yeah, and there are we, 8 we million understand, Congresswoman. So I so beg your pardon. We me, understand a lot of things. Sure, a lot of things are out of whack in this country, mostly as a result of 18 months of a pandemic of the COVID. But uh, let me let's go back to this bill because you know you have said that it is a socialist spending spree. In fact, if this works, most of this would be paid for by millionaires. Uh, you know, if they would pay an extra 5%, people who make more than $10 million a year would pay an extra 5%. People who make more than $25 million a year would pay an additional 3%. Uh, and that's how, along with people who earn 400000 or more, would also pay additional income taxes. So there is a mechanism here to pay for uh, what we're talking about. I mean, do you do you think that is fair? That tax. Listen, Mike Pudney. If this bill was to be so good, then the Democrats would have passed it a long time ago. Why isn't this happening? Why do you have a senator? Well, because Manchin? you have Joe Why? Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, well, but, among okay, others, let's who put, don't let's like put it. that aside. Let's talk to the House. Why then, Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi does not have the votes to pass this because you have. 8 million Americans that are claiming unemployment and you have 10 million jobs available because you know very well that people cannot find truck drivers or people to go in their body shops or in their hair salons. You know that people just don't want to work because there's so much money in the economy that it's a lot better to stay at home watching television than going to work. That, that is that not actually, the American spirit. Can I just jump in here? There, there are absolutely some people that do what you just said. We have spoken to them. But factually speaking, that is not the issue in this COVID recovery period. It's, it's more complicated than that. A lot of people can't go back to work because they don't have childcare and their children are home is just one example. So, you know, instead of being a political black-white kind of thing, it is a very complicated, to your point, calculation to make all this work. But in what they're trying to do and in the mansion and cinema holdup versus the progressives who want much more of those kind of government safety nets, there, there is a calculation to come to as a compromise to get something like this done, to get this big lift done. So what, do, what would you tell Speaker Pelosi? What would you say to her you can accept and compromise on and things that you mm -hmm. just would not? You know what I would say to Madam Chairman, uh, Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi? Sit with the Republicans and let's come to an agreement, something that she hasn't done since the beginning of this Congress. And, you know, I've been here for seven months. You know, I was with you for 35 years as a journalist, and I'm reporting it to you the way I see it. We need bipartisanship, something that President Biden promised, and we have not seen it at the committee level and at the floor level. Okay, so, so, but, so let's say, so let's say the speaker comes to, is listening to our program and comes to you and says, Congresswoman, <laughs> great Congresswoman from the great state of Florida, what, what would you like to see? What would you uh, like to see in this bill? What could I, I you sit with here? 
I want to continue the same economic boom that we had a year ago. When more people, there were more 10 jobs, 10 million jobs than hands. When we paid little taxes at the, at the corporate level, when, where a lot, millions of American workers were receiving bonuses from those companies, where the Hispanics were making more money, the African-Americans, the average people that did not have a college degree, everyone was working. But That's wasn't that America before we COVID? Want. That was Didn't... before COVID. I mean, 10 so, million correct. people lost their jobs because of COVID. I hear a year you, ago. and that's why we poured in $6 trillion into the economy, and we poured $1.9 trillion more at the beginning of this Congress, and that money is there available. So what I'm saying to you is look at inflation. Inflation is the coronavirus of the economy. So I'm this... sure that we have, no, but let me finish. I, we have I'm the sorry, Venezuelans go ahead. listening yep. to you. Go ahead. We have the Venezuelans, Lena. We have the, the Argentinians, the Venezuelans. They look what they have. Their believer is worth less than monopoly money. Look at the Cubans where they have two types of currencies. Why? Because of inflation. Most people that are watching this show, guys, have not lived in inflation. But the people that mo some of the people who are in my in District 27, who are my constituents, know exactly what that means, and that is going to destroy the economy that we have created in the last three years. The economy that the average American needs, pursuit of happiness. So I'm going back to the big principles. Do not mess with the best economy in the world. Why? Because we have the American exceptionality, because we have individualism. We have people that wake up in the morning and want to grab their own future, make their own, their, pay what they need to do in taxes, and keep the rest of the money to do whatever they want to. Okay. But now the mentality, what they're, and I go back to my founding phrase, the founding spirit of this country is being undermined, and I cannot vote for that. I will vote for specific programs for people that need it, the disabled, the people that cannot go to work because they don't have, they don't have child care, people that need health care, people that need it, but no dependency. Understood. We okay. Got, got, got that message. No, but so, I want to give you more your banana republic. We, we got, we we got a time clock we're looking at. I want to ask what, you another question. When I'm not even, I'm not yet. Let's go to Cuba. Let's go to Cuba. We need leadership in Cuba. And I have said it, and I am saying it again to those Democrats, Cuban Democrats, Nicaraguan Democrats. I need leadership from the Biden administration. And I told them repeatedly uh, on the phone, say, listen, Congressman Salazar, proud Republican, will give you all the credit if you show two things, leadership and connectivity for the Cubans. Yeah. This is another Bay of Pigs. But July Congresswoman, 11th. Congresswoman, what? The, the, what? the Biden administration essentially has not changed anything from the Trump policy on Cuba. They've imposed sanctions. They have sanctioned Gaesa, the My branch Cudney, of the military. The Trump administration, branch Trump that never runs had tourism. the opportunity. Look, Trump never had the opportunity that Biden has had on July 11th. Well, what should he do? July 11th, I'm going to tell you exactly what they can do and they're not doing it. And I am very upset. And I have told them, you can do this. And I will give you all the credit to the Biden administration because I don't care what political party we're talking about. We're talking about helping the Cubans be free. And I have gone to the Black Caucus and have said to Cory Bush and to AOC and to, and, and to, and to uh, uh, Congressman uh, Hakeem Jeffries, Help me with the Afro-Cubans. I do not want the Afro-Cubans to be beaten on the streets. And you saw those pictures, and I would like you, if it's possible, to show the pictures that came out on Cuban television. The Cuban television, those, those thugs with bats 
in their hands saying this is what we're going to use against those poor people who are going to come out November 15th to only scream freedom. How come? Where's the Biden administration? I don't see it. And I have called them and I have said, okay, no leadership, but that's too connectivity. Where's the internet? There are the stratospheric balloons, the ones that once and, and the Cubans announced it already that they're going to be shutting down the internet. So where's okay, connectivity? So oh, it's too hard. Speaking it's impossible. of, speaking of shutting down the internet, what? I yes. regret <laughs> to tell you we need to shut down for a break because it's always so fascinating to speak with you and see where the conversation kind of meanders, but promise that you'll come back when we can actually see you. I, I will go okay. back whenever you guys want me, when you can see me and you can see the wonderful makeup on that I put on on a Sunday morning. Send, thank, put thank it up on, on Twitter. Send, send me a little tweet thank there. You. All right, thank, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to talk to my constituents and to thank you. Thank you so much. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are grateful for your patience with us this morning. We've had a lot of technical difficulties, which is why you have not been able to see our guests. But we are going to move on with the two other Democratic candidates in the 20th Congressional District. We are going to be joined now on the phone by Phil Jackson, a retired Navy officer, a Ph.D. from Lynn University, and Priscilla Taylor, who is a former state representative from Palm Beach County, ran for mayor in West Palm in 2019. Uh, Ms. Taylor, uh, Dr. Jackson, are you with us? Welcome aboard. Yes, I am. I'm here. Welcome aboard. That's, that's my line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then, let's start with you. Um, let, well, we have been over the past couple of weeks talking to all the candidates in the Democratic primary for District 20. And it's interesting to hear that the uh, poll recently out just this week shows of the 11, there's four candidates in the double digits. I don't want to go through names, but they're all elected officials except for one who is the big money spender. Uh, you all with us today are not. So, Phil Jackson, how do you overcome that in the last couple of days by appealing to voters how you are different? Well, right now I'm going door to door, uh, canvassing the communities throughout uh, Palm Beach County, and, and I'm later on today going to be down in Broward County. Uh, I'm also running a number of ads across the district, uh, particularly focused at this time on the Hispanic, the growing Hispanic community, which I think uh, the other candidates have, for the most part, overlooked. Uh, I have stressed the importance of, uh, of reforming immigration, and I've stressed the fact that I am a longtime friend of the Haitian and Cuban communities as well as the Israeli community. Um, and uh, I think uh, the door-to-door -door uh, meeting people uh, at their homes, I think that's going to make a difference. We've also made a number of telephone calls, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that as the numbers uh, come in tomorrow and on, well, after today and on Tuesday, that you'll see my numbers go up as my approval ratings throughout the district has been fairly high, uh, running at about 67% according to our, our, hmm. our assessments within within my, uh, oh. my, my party, okay. I mean, within um, my, my campaign. Thanks. Priscilla Taylor, uh, you, you were an office holder. Take that question. How have you told the voters of District 20 uh, and all the issues that they care about, health care, uh, climate change, social justice, what are you telling them sets you apart? 
Well, my experience, I feel, sets me apart. Actually, I have represented much of this, this district and the most challenging part of this district. As a matter of fact, today in the Palm Beach Post, they covered the thing that we've talked about a lot, which is the burning over in the Glades area having a negative effect on the people there. Uh, and they quoted me as saying that the people in the Glades then deserve to have the same safety measures in place as any place else in Palm Beach County. I have always reached out to all of the residents um, that I represent, and I take pride in that. Uh, as far as this particular race and as far as polling, I've never been a person who really put too much into polling because we know that those numbers uh, fluctuate and can change. But we have um, made a point of trying to reach the residents and the constituents via the telephone, via door-to-door, -door, uh, via advertising and mailings. And we will continue to do that. As you know, this district is very, the way that it is cut, it is very difficult, uh, especially for someone in Palm Beach County, but there is still a possibility. Uh, and we are leaning on that possibility to be able to garner enough votes to put us in the congressional seat. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Taylor, when you think about the towns of uh, Belle Glade and South Bay, uh, those residents, many of whom, most of whom, I guess, are poor uh, they suffer the effects of the burning of the sugar cane, which Big Sugar does uh, after every crop. Uh, but would, does, does Congress have the power to stop that? Well, they, you know, they actually, I think we could put more, uh, more laws into place as far as to, to how to control the burning uh, and, and to use green energy and give incentives to companies that will do that. Uh, the, the residents of Glades depend upon the sugar industry for jobs, and obviously there are other alternatives that, they, that can be used as far as the burning of the cane. And I am hopeful that uh, Congress will take a look at that and try to give incentives to the uh, sugar industries and other com companies that's doing this, because it doesn't just happen here in Florida. Any place there fa there's farming, this is something that happens. So I will be a proponent of trying to put in something different to help the residents of the Glades so that they won't have those health uh, problems that some of them are saying they have now. It hasn't been proven, but we also know that uh, if there's something different uh, like that going on in the areas and there are more people with asthma and other respiratory diseases, that it's possible that this is what's causing it. Well, let's let's broaden out that, that health care issue. Phil Jackson, uh, the, the congressman or woman for District 20 will not be in Congress until next January, will not be voting on this spending package, obviously. Uh, what would you do? What's your ideas for expanding Medicaid and expanding the ability for people in this district to have health insurance? What, one in five, I believe, was the uh, figure we had don't, don't have health insurance at all. Yeah, uh, I would first like to start with saying uh, quality health care is a basic human right, and we have to expand health care to all by providing a public health care option. Uh, there is no reason that any American should face bankruptcy or have to agonize over how to pay for needed health care. And I am pleased to see that in what has passed so far in the Build Back Better plan is affordable health care. That is one of the things that they have that they have held on to. They also made some uh, have agreed on some climate change measures. 
as well as child care and universal pre-K. As a college educator, uh, I've worked with pre-K, and uh, I'm pleased to see that child care, universal pre-K, is still in the package because we know how important getting the child started early on is to their overall success in life. Uh, the child tax credit has been extended, and we've also going to fund affordable housing, it seems. But I'm still not giving up hope that we're going to see free college education, particularly the first two years of college. You know, I'm a community college educator, have been a vice president, dean, and professor at the community college level, even though I have worked with K-12 in very developing STEM programs through my own company as well as, as an administrator uh, in at uh, Illinois Central College and at uh, Fayetteville Technical College where I developed a STEM program for the middle school kids uh, who were uh, children of the parents who were off fighting our wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, we developed a STEM program over the summer for them. Yeah. Let and me I'm move still on holding out hope for if, a paid family leave as well. Yeah. Let me, let me move on. Uh, Priscilla Taylor, uh, ask you about immigration issues and Haiti, Haitians in many ways have been discriminated against here. We just had on the Texas border 100,000 or so, uh, mainly Haitian migrants who are trying to get into this country. Uh, where do you stand on the treatment of Haitian migrants and how can they be treated better and more fairly? Well, I tell you, when I saw that on television, I was totally disturbed, uh, especially the gentleman on the horse and even just the idea of, of, of that many people having to be in one area and, and uh, what happened. But I support the TPS. Uh, to me, that, that is something that can be a temporary relief right now. But I also feel that the federal government needs to hire more judges, more people, in order to process more immigration Haitian. judges yeah yeah immigration judges yes 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 uh, to process individuals so that they can at least go through the process uh, and get with family members or others to be able to work but we have to do something to have a um, a pathway to citizenship because what has happened in Haiti should not happen any place uh, I also support trying to stabilize Haiti as well uh, I know there are varying thoughts on this, but I do feel that the United States should send peacekeeping troops to Haiti to try to help them to rebuild and to stabilize the country, especially in view of the fact that their president was, was murdered. Uh, but we need to pay attention to Haiti. Uh, I have always said that, and I do feel that the temporary, the TPS, uh, more people working with them to get them through the process is, is, is crucial yeah. right now. And Priscilla this is Taylor, emergency issues. Priscilla Taylor, former state representative, Phil Jackson, educator, Navy officer. Thank you very much. Good luck with your campaigns. Well, thank, thank you, you so very much. much for the opportunity. And up next, drawing the lines, not in the sand, but across the state. Redistricting is underway, and we're going to take you behind the scenes of that process uh, when we come back with two expert guests. First, a correction earlier when we had Maria Elvira Salazar, Congresswoman, on this program. We misidentified her as a Democrat 
Oh my goodness, we all know she's a Republican. <laughs> Clearly she is not. <laughs> we apologize. All right, every 10 years after the census is taken, lawmakers then redraw legislative and congressional district lines in their states to reflect changing populations. The redistricting decisions underway right now are getting relatively little attention, even though what's at stake is Florida's future balance of power. State Representative Joe Geller, District 100 in South Broward County is with us, as is J.C. Planis, who is a former Republican state representative, an elections lawyer, and a genius when it comes to redistricting. <laughs> and also so, election law, for uh, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and so we're going to take a little dive to see how the sausage is being made. Um, so welcome to you both. Good morning, Michael and Glenna. Glad to be with you this morning. Joe and JC, great to speak with you. Joe Geller, you are also, I should say, from Aventura, my hometown. Um, you are the ranking minority member on the House Redistricting Committee. Not sure if that's the proper name. Uh, tell us where it stands. How are things going? Well, we've had a couple of meetings that have been very general, but I think there are a couple of issues that present itself, uh, themselves right now. Number one is this issue of, you know, they promised a transparent process, but in the past, we've always had public involvement. We've had these going around the state to listen to people, and it's still not clear that they're going to do anything like that. I've called in the committee meetings for us to hold meetings around the state by Zoom. We have this technology. Having people come to Tallahassee and then go three blocks away to uh, speak from uh, the Civic Center by Zoom is ridiculous. We should hold these meetings by Zoom, invite the public across the state to participate, and just make sure that underserved communities uh, that don't necessarily have internet access uh, are able to go someplace where they can speak to the Zoom, and all the legislators, frankly, can be at home listening to them on Zoom. All right, so, so that's one very important issue. Yeah, for sure. So let, let's talk about the actual drawing of the lines. This is kind of mathematical ca calculations. This is part artwork. It is all politics. And because of 10 years ago, a amendment in the Florida Constitution and a, and a court case, picture the state of Florida. Picture little boxes drawing all the districts. They're supposed to be fairly even. They're supposed to be concurrent. It doesn't sound like brain surgery, JC, but then the people in power want to draw those lines so that their own party's voters have the majority. So, it, you know, it's, I, I know it's kind of a nerdy thing, but this is so critical <laughs> where those lines are drawn for voters to be represented. I mean, it's nothing less than representation. Yeah. So how, how are they doing this right now to comport with the law and yet try to get their political chits in? Well, first of all, even before the Fair District's Amendment, you still had limits um, on, based on case law on, on redistricting for years that you couldn't go over a certain deviation in districts. You couldn't be over or under what the, the ideal population of the district should be. But the, the truth is, is when I teach election law in law school, one of the things I talk about is when you're playing any sort of game, the size of the field and how it's marked is the most important thing. Imagine if a football team could go in before the game and, and make the hash marks instead of by yard, two feet instead of three feet, and not tell the other team. 
And that is what has gone on before in redistricting. It happened 10 years ago, and they got caught, and the court scaled it back. But what we see is legislators basically trying to play with the field to their own advantage in elections. Yeah. Uh, JC, uh, as you well know, Florida is basically a purple state. There are at this moment about as many registered Democrats as Republicans. That's to the credit of Republicans who have increased their registrations. Democrats have not increased theirs. And yet the Florida House and the Florida Senate are overwhelmingly Republican. Now, given the redistricting 10 years ago, how did that happen? Well, I think, first of all, one of the things we saw, and, and we talked about this when they passed their districts, people who are like-minded politically do tend to live near each other. Mm -hmm. So when you are drawing a lot of, of the lines, you end up just grouping folks together. The other thing is we have a rural-urban divide in this state almost more than we have a partisan divide. And when you have all these Republicans living in these rural areas, it's sort of easier to legally draw them into districts that favor some Republicans because you you don't have that many um, boundaries. You can go through a lot of rural areas. It's also easier to divide up municipalities and urban areas like Miami-Dade County in a part that may water down um, Democratic votes. And, and, you know, Joe's seen this, and Joe's going to be on the front line fighting this. Yeah. Joe, Joe weigh in on that. And it passes muster. Yeah, Joe, well, I'd like and to hear my, Joe my weigh in on, on real time what's going on now to make sure yeah. that minority populations have representation. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I really think that the question that Michael just raised is key. And I've said this in the last two meetings. You know, the process is important. We do need a transparent process. But I think we need to look at results. We need to look at how these the numbers come out. If they draw 75 state Republican seats in the House, I don't care what process they use. That's wrong. That doesn't reflect this state, which is evenly divided. The average distance in the last four statewide elections, it averages to one point. Bill Nelson lost by point one. So if they draw a lopsided map, I don't care how they get there. We need to look at outcomes and results. These, not for partisan reasons, but the, the will of the voters of Florida, which is evenly divided with a slight Republican tilt just these last yeah. few elections, the, the maps need to look like that or they're bad maps and they're not fair. Uh, uh, Joe, uh, something that let Joe me, said let me, earlier hold, that hold, hold on. Let, uh, the, before the state we, is not having yeah. town hall meetings. The county redistricting, I'm part of the county yeah. redistricting citizens committee. And we are having town hall meetings in every district. There's no reason right. the state should not be doing this. Disgraceful. Do people right. show up? Michael, what were you going to say? Yeah, uh, Joe, I wanted to ask you, you and Annette Tadeo, Senator Tadeo, have introduced a bill to try to make the legislative record making for redistricting subject to Florida public records law. Why isn't it subject to public records laws? Because they, uh, there is a, a doctrine of the so-called legislative uh, work product, but it shouldn't apply to redistricting. It, this is too important. The public needs to know everything. Redistricting has to be reviewed by the courts. That's the law, and we need to fully comply with the law. We need to get rid of this legislative exemption that people can hide behind 
when it comes to redistricting, everything should be public. Everything should be on the table. So we have to scoot out of here. It's great to have you both. And I want to thank you both and thank you viewers for being with us for this hour. Uh, remember, we're always online 24-7 at local10.com. And as always, remember, stay informed, get involved. Hope you have a great Sunday.